September is National Recovery Month, and on September 27th, I sat down to have an unscripted conversation with John Pulley, who is a passionate advocate and warrior in the fight to end human trafficking. However, John brings a very unique perspective because long before he became a sought-after public speaker on this topic, he was deep into an addiction to pornography and sex that resulted in his arrest for solicitation of a minor. In our very real and raw conversation, we explore how that experience has led to his collaboration with numerous women who are survivors of trafficking. I hope that you can be as open-minded as they have been in listening to his story because it is part of a larger discussion about how we are all on the addiction spectrum for something. Whether it's alcohol, drugs, sex, gambling, or something much less apparent and more socially acceptable like an eating disorder, toxic relationships, or financial self-sabotage. My goal with this conversation is to remove labels, humanize, and get to the root of what drives addictions in the first place. Let's go uncage addiction. Like, how did this all come to be? Like, what you're doing now? Well... I mean, I think you'd have to go all the way back and start with the whole story. Yeah. Um, the it, the very cliff note version of it is that, you know, uh, 15 years or so ago, I I had a series of circumstances that came up. Pornography was never a, a big thing for me. I was mm-hmm. like most guys, I'm a guy, I see it every now and then, I don't care. Yeah. Um, but something happened about 15 years ago. There was something inside of me. I think it had to do with the circumstances of my life. Um, uh, growing up, not feeling like I was enough, like I couldn't do enough or like mm-hmm. I did everything wrong. Um, I was having some struggles in my relationship. I was having struggles at work. My church had fallen apart. And so all the things in my life that I had put in place to be my pillars, this is what I hang to, yeah. right? cling to, right. um, they had just kind of fallen apart. Yeah. And so I started looking at pornography and pornography was, um, I, the lie that I told myself, which is what millions of people tell themselves every day is this isn't hurting anybody, mm-hmm. right? This is a victimless crime. It's just me. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, Never mind what it was doing to my marriage, my relationship, never mind what it was doing to anything else, but it captured me and became an addiction mm-hmm. to the point that I was just meeting people for sex and I'd gone online to try to meet with somebody. And um, this is probably a year and a half into it. I had, you know, I, I was looking at pornography three hours a day, wow. I mean, four hours a day. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah. And it when you look at something that much it is going to impact you when you think about it and visualize it and fantasize mm-hmm. about something so much you're going to want it and the insidiousness of porn is like any addiction mm-hmm. it captures you with a little thing mm-hmm. and then you go well that was cool I, I'm, I feel better for seconds and then you feel shame because you did that thing and then you want to alleviate the shame so you go back to the thing but it takes more the next time yeah. to have the same level of, you know, same dopamine hits, the same kind of growth. So for me, I had just, I had looked at all kinds of pornography. I had done all kinds of things like that. So it came crashing down on me um, uh, 13 years ago, almost 14 now, yeah. when I had scheduled a meeting with somebody and I went to meet with them. And when I did, I'd done it online, you know, just met with somebody online. And when I showed up, there were four police cars that surrounded me. And I was arrested for criminal solicitation of a minor because of the profile of the person I was going to see, which he said it was 15 years old. Um, so again, none of this I'm proud of, but mm-hmm. it is my story and it is what happened. I, I think that inside of that with, with it, I mean, again, it was a police conversation, so it's all documented and there was no hiding from it. And once I finally went to court in the trial, I went, I got 10 years of probation. Mm-hmm. Um, spent 90 days in a jail that's just not fun they have bad food i don't recommend going to jail just so you know (laughs) terrible food um but you know i survived that i had an incredible amount of support um from my now ex-wife even she was amazing through the whole process with me she walked me through it um and in the end of course it was just too much and i understand i you know i was never 
angry with her, even when I was broken and ready to fix things and do better, it was just too late. And there's with, I cl clearly, once you do that, you become a registered sex offender mm -hmm. and that label in our society carries a lot of weight with it. Whether we like it or not, it does. Mm -hmm. Good and bad, well, no, mainly bad. <laughs> so, you know, um, in the midst of all of that, I had a best friend that he, um, I, of course, again, if you ever done this or know this, you're a convicted felon, it's hard to find a job. And I had a best friend, Daryl Amy, that had given me a job. He was, I was just doing some work for him. And he went away on a, a weekend uh, trip to Colorado for a, it was a spiritual trip. Uh, there's a gentleman named John Eldridge that wrote a book called Wild at Heart that talks about just kind of the core desires of men's hearts in general, the mm -hmm. things that men seek, that we yeah. look for it in not that fake thing that we put out there to pretend like we got it all together, but like what's really driving us. And so mm -hmm. he came back from that. He was all giddy and excited. He's like, yeah, there, I thought I was gonna have to wait till it was October, almost 10 years ago now. He said, I thought I was gonna have to wait till March to bring you back to Colorado, but I met these guys in the airport and they're doing a thing in Texas in three weeks and you gotta go. And I'm going, yeah. hmm, tell me more about this. He goes, yeah, well, so they're going to meet out at a campground, and it's like four days, and I'm going four days in the woods with a bunch of Christian men. No, I'm out. Not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to go. No interest in it. Um, I, just to be clear, I love Jesus. I'm not so big on religion. It annoys me because it steals people's hearts. Um, that's a whole other conversation I can go for hours <laughs> on. But, um, so I, I go to this thing, and in the middle of it, um, one of the big things that they shoot for is they, you know, we as men, you have to peel back a lot of layers to get to what's underneath our heart. And because we've been taught by society, we've been, you know, taught since we were kids, you do it on your own, you stand up on your own, you're a self-made man, you know, all these different things that we do. And so to really get to a man, you got to kind of peel back this layer and you go, okay, these guys are all right. Peel yeah. back the next one. Yeah. And somewhere in the middle of it, um, I went out and, and um, they sent us out into the woods because they did the worst session of all, which like basically rips your heart out and goes, here's your father issues, go deal with them now. Yeah. You're like, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, go talk to God about this. Here's right. your, take your journal and your pen, ask these two questions, just write down what you hear. And I'm like, hmm. So I'm like chain smoking in the woods, crying, tears streaming down my face. And, I think that started for the first time I was starting to understand that I'm loved. Um, I may have not gotten what I thought I needed as a child, but I am loved yeah. and I am, I've done some bad things, but I'm not a bad human. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I think that, I mean, that is so, um, I think that's so key for everyone to understand is that we're not a label. We are all complex people. Right. Um, and I want to get back to that point, but finish telling us your, your journey. It's a little more nuanced than just yeah. having a label on a human. Right. But, yeah. Um, so what happened was, and this is really interesting, what I didn't find out until later is that this this camp cost like $250, and Daryl paid for me to go because he insisted I go. Yeah. He also paid for six other guys and himself to go. Yeah. So he spent $1,500, yeah, $2,000 basically to get us all there. Yeah. Well, we had a night where we sat around a campfire, and I thought, well, if we're going to do this thing of living authentic, let's do it. And so... For the first time in my life, I told my unadulterated, unfiltered story to a group of men, and I didn't hide, I didn't pretend, I just like, this is what happened, this is where I am. And I thought, okay, I don't know where this is gonna go. Well, the next guy that went after me just told his entire unadulterated, unedited story of who he is and how he got to where he is, and then the next guy did, and then the next guy did, and eight of us, we were there till gosh, two or three in the morning around a campfire doing this. Yeah. And something happened there. I don't know how to describe it. When you get yeah. honest and authentic like that, especially with men that you're sitting around with, because men don't do that ever. We don't yeah. even try. <laughs> we wouldn't yeah. even try. Like, nope, yeah. this is what I do. Yeah. I watch sports. I'm a Razorback fan. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is what we yeah. do. Don't you think um, there, there's some power, some personal power that keeps gets taken back when we um, 
put everything on the table that like everything that could bring us shame or judgment or that we're afraid of people knowing like when we're like okay here it all is then right. it's out there and then it's like there's no um there there's no it's it, it is what it is at that point like to me it feels yes. like a kind of a reclaiming some personal power by um removing yes. any leverage that anybody might have by just being totally 100 percent honest about literally everything right right it, is, it does if you well, yeah. what if no one has anything on you right mm -hmm. You're, it's all out there right I mean, people, yeah people tell me you're so brave for saying what you say no it's kind of selfish i mean <laughs> it, it kind of is you yeah. know i mean i think it wants but here's the flip side of that too, and you know this as well as I do. I think the cool part about that is when you share your story, you're allowing people permission to have faults. You're allowing mm -hmm. people permission to be authentic, to say, you know, wow, you know, I've got this, some issues too, right? And that's the yeah. freeing part and the cool part. I yeah. love that part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You I do mean, that all the time. I watch you on social media. You do that constantly. <laughs> it's awesome. I just, I feel like, well, there's a few things there. Like, first of all, I feel like I'm, I've reached the season of my life where it's time for me to give back by sharing in hopes that maybe some kernels that I can, that I, I give related to experiences I've been through might help somebody else alleviate a little bit of their suffering or, you know, yes. something might take hold and take root and be like, wow, if... If this woman who you know grew up in an environment with a father who was an addict and an alcoholic and you know um, not around and disappeared and never there that you know and she's happy and living a fulfilled life and right. um, then you know maybe I can do that too um, like that's I, and, and to your point being selfless and very giving without strings it ultimately it comes back around to be very selfish or self-serving I mean and we're not doing it for no. self-serving reasons it's just no. it's just the unintended impact like people who are I think people who are not mission driven they they miss the fact that they could actually get so much more of what they think they want if they lived in a much more selfless way if that makes sense you right that's good say that again <laughs> I, love that. I, I, well, I, I think that people who people who are not mission driven who are driven by the success that's like the fleeting stuff whether it's money or stuff or whatever it is the title right. um, they could get there faster and have so much more of what they think they want if the way they went about it was selfless yes <laughs> that's so good that is so good. Well, I mean, yeah, because people are pursuing so many things that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I mean, who needs a title, right? Like yeah. People ask me, what do you do at Fierce Freedom? I'm like, I don't know. I hate yeah. titles because I don't remember what I do. Yeah. I mean, I do a lot of things, but yeah, right. I don't know my title. But yeah. No, that's awesome. That's so yeah. good, Diane. But it is, but I think there's... Everyone's, you know, I, there's a guy named Darren Hardy that uh, he does a lot of like, uh, you know, insane productivity. He's done a lot of different kinds of programs. And I listened to him one time and he did this whole story about, he said, you know, everybody has something they're passionate about, right? Yeah. And they'll go, well, you need to be passionate about human trafficking and getting rid of that. You need mm -hmm. to be passionate about domestic violence. You need to be passionate about whatever, politics, whatever yeah. it is, right? And he said, look, there's enough for everybody. Yeah. You do you. If you're passionate about alcoholism, then be passionate about it. Go for it and raise things yeah. up. But I think people get passionate about work or money under the auspices of providing for a family or doing better mm -hmm. when the, the human heart is what matters. Yeah. What's going on inside here? That's yeah. what really, no one tells stories at, at a funeral about the amount of money they have in their bank account. No, no, I think that, and I, I do like seeing more now, like I, I love, and I think this is part of why the, the result of, of people being willing to share openly and, um, and really connect and have, um, 
open and honest conversations is that, you know, uh, that fulfillment and happiness should be what we're striving for, not, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the, Absolutely. the money stuff is very, very, uh, I mean, there are a lot of people, we could, we could spend this whole podcast listing the extremely financially successful people who killed themselves in the last three years. Right. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, there's a, there's a science behind success, but there's an art to, to achieving fulfillment. And, you know, I'm a big believer that life is happening for us, not to us. And that, you know, sometimes the journeys we go down, um, the, the bad, the seemingly bad things or the, um, what seems like trauma or tragedy or failure, whatever it might be, is for a purpose that, we ultimately wouldn't be able to achieve our potential if we didn't go through those experiences. I, people ask me, would you take back what happened? And I think there's only one reason I would. My yeah. ex-wife is the only thing. Other than that, yeah. I would not be the man that I am today. I wouldn't right. be transparent. I wouldn't be on your podcast. I'd yeah. be some dude that you know. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some guy you met several right. years ago. Right, that's right, right. Know. Yeah. 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 So I, um, I just recently read Russell Brand's book recovery. And so this, this, um, this month is, you know, September is um, national recovery month. And, um, so I read Russell Brand's book recovery, which I absolutely loved. And, and part of the thesis of his book. And so he, he's, he dealt with, um, eating disorders. He dealt with pornography and sex addiction. He dealt with, um, you know, heroin addiction, like he did, he had a lot going on. Um, yeah. And it's been about 15 years of, of sobriety for him from all of it. Um, but he wrote, wrote this book called recovery. And the thesis is that we're all on the addiction spectrum for something. And some of it's just not as obvious, but just as detrimental. So, you know, I know we've talked about, you know, your, you know, pornography, sex addiction. Um, for me, like my struggle has, was an eating disorder. Um, and, uh, that's, you know, that's part of that same addiction type of, you know, if we're having a conversation about addiction, that's an addictive or compulsive behavior. Um, and you know, whether it's alcohol, drugs, but he went into also talking about, you know, it may be toxic relationships. It may be, you know, um, just being negative and, and addicted to just, you know, uh, only just being talking about problems or is he an addiction to, you know, I mean, spending, gambling, whatever it might be. Like there's so many different ways that people, um, fulfill their, you know, soothe their, soothe themselves or cope with some sort of problem or, or, or pain that they have not, um, managed in a mm-hmm. healthy way, mm-hmm. um, would you, do you would you agree with that thesis that we're all sort of on this spectrum on at least something? Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. again, and we, I think you and I've even talked about this before. That the tricky part of that is some things become socially acceptable, right? That it's yes. You had an eating disorder, but if that manifested itself in you looking great in a bikini, society goes, "Hey, you're doing awesome, right?" Yeah, very As true. You going, I have to go for whatever that was, right? Yeah. But if you look at a porn addiction, you go the same thing, right? Well, some people glorify that. There's nothing yeah. wrong with porn. Yeah. Not a problem in the world. Watch it; it's fine. Yeah. And then other people, it eats them alive, and it. it I think it just depends on your own heart, but you've got to be willing to look at yourself. Yeah. You got to be willing to go, what am I going to that makes me fulfilled that's outside of me? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Right. So yeah, it's a spectrum that I think every person would be on. And some people are addicted to, you know, uh, service to their church. Right. That's their addiction. Well, it's your, oh, here's the thing. So, so, so Russell Brand uses the word, um, dedication. Instead of like his sort of the- theory is that addiction is a negative manifestation of a compulsive behavior that we can't give up if we even if we wanted to that it's right. it's a negative way. Um, but like a positive, you know, if we wanted to, a positive addiction would be like dedication. 
Um, you know, and like that many of us, I know I need to have positive addiction in my life, whether it's helping people, whether it's my fitness route, like I'm now, I've had to pivot from the, you know, the unhealthy eating habits and eating disorder to, um, being pretty, um, obsessive over health and fitness. And it's that healthy bit of control that is, um, that has kind of liberated me from the unhealthy manifestation of, of my, you know, addiction, if you will. Right. So, um, you know, aside from a lot of personal, a lot of work on the underlying reasons that I was, you know, kind of, uh, going down that path to begin with. And yeah, it came back to, to, you know, my, dad and stuff like that too so it's um and and that kind of gets back to a point because you know like you said you know we all we we demonize some addictions and we we put them in a box or we criminalize them and then we um we celebrate others or you know in some cases put them on the cover of magazines and encourage them I mean there was like you know, I think going back to the 80s, like, there was, like, you know, heroin chic and, like, you know, like, the skinny sort of, um, the celebration of people who are anorexic, literally anorexic, um, but ultimately at the root of it, it's just, I mean, I, I don't know, I'd be interested to hear your perspective because the more I talk to people, whether or they've dealt with an eating disorder like I did, um, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, sex addiction, whatever it might be, the underlying root like that, that has taken hold, that has created, like it's, it's very, very similar. What do you think it is? Uh, what do you hear? I think that it is um, a lack of... Um, I think that it's a lack of feeling it's a need to connect because I think that our addictions are provide um, unhealthy and unsustainable ways of connecting with other people. Absolutely. Um, and so there's the connection part. There's that, there's that control or certainty aspect of it where you know what you're going to get out of this experience. Like for me, I mean, uh, that was like critical to me was that level of control. So I think, um, you know, I came from a bit of an unstable background in my home with a dad who was an addict himself and an Mm -hmm. alcoholic. So there was a, um, you know, I had this after years, like this desperate need to connect with other people but also a need for some certainty in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, um, in a weird way, and I don't know if this is where maybe the eating disorder diverges from other types of addictions, but it also, in the environment that I was in, um, it gave me like a sense of like being special, and I got attention from it because... Um, you know, and I, I was deeply lacking that, um, attention from my own dad cause he pieced out and disappeared. I didn't know where he was for a yep. couple years. Um, and I got so much attention from people who didn't really know me or love me, but who were like, you're getting so skinny. Are you okay? Or, you know, what's going on with you? Like, you know, it was an immediate visceral reaction that people would see me and they notice the big difference so for me right. it was like a sense of significance and attention um connecting with other people in in really weird unhealthy ways like other people who with eating disorders we would kind of find each other and yep. um it was like a safe zone to talk about stuff and then um that level of control yep I, I see that 100%. I mean, it, I, I think your, your desire to connect with people, that, 
that wholeheartedly speaks to what I think the core of it is. I think I think we're built for I think we're built for connection. I use a different word for it. I mean, I use connection, but I think we're built for love. Yeah. I think every person I know wants to be seen and known and appreciated and loved. Not yeah. for what they do, yeah. but for who they are. Yeah. And so inside that, right, you get attention mm-hmm. for yours. Negative attention is still attention. It is. Right? Yeah. It's still attention. So you got it. You sought that. So you found a way to connect with people. And plus there, you know, it's interesting because you see, you use the term control. When I was at the height of my addiction, I felt like everything else in my life was spinning out of control and I couldn't do anything. That was the one thing I could control. And yeah. I enjoyed it for the time that I looked at it and then I moved back to the real world, right? Uh-huh. But it's like I had control over something. And as warped as it sounds, and again, when you say it out loud, it sounds like I'm just a blazing idiot. I was trying to have a connection and love with a bunch of pixels that were on my screen. Yeah. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. I wanted to be loved and I felt accepted by fantasizing about putting myself in a place where I wasn't. But that here's I, the thing, that's not that that's not crazy because we have seen I've read the um the the data and the articles about the fact that the reason that people get hooked on their favorite TV show, whether it's Sex in the City or Friends or whatever it is, is because it creates the same sort of biochemical um, impact on our brain as if those were our friends in real life. <laughs> That's interesting. You know, like I've I've read the, I mean, it's been a minute since I've picked up that art, but it's people really, I mean, intellectually we know, right? You knew, like, this isn't actually happening to me right now. Exactly, <laughs> clearly. But, like, right? there's a place in our brains that it it stimulates to have that kind of, I mean, it's, yeah, like, that's so that's what I've read about why people enjoy certain TV shows. And I bet it lines up with their family upbringing and the things that they believe about themselves. Mm-hmm. I bet it lines up totally with that. Yeah. That, what I'm thinking is, like, I've, for years, I've said, what you focus on determines what you see. Uh-huh. Oh, 100%. 100%. You can look at your past and go, this happened with me. This happened with my dad. I am broken because of this. Well, it's. I think there's a difference. There's. When I say love for people, I go back. I want to jump back because I think that when we talk about, when I say people have an innate desire for love, I think they need to love themselves. And this is where I think society has yet to figure out how to do that mm-hmm. without being full of bravado or trying to fake it and be something that you're not pretend to be something we want to be loved but i mean again for me personally i go back to i think christianity is not nearly as complicated as people make it because they mm-hmm. ask jesus what is the most important thing number one love the lord your god with your heart soul mind and strength love mm-hmm. your creator right creator of the universe whatever most people call it. um yeah. number two is similar love your neighbor as you love yourself well here's the problem you start with god you have to love yourself before you can ever love your neighbor yeah because otherwise it's all going to be a searching and a reaching to get them to like me or connect with them in a way that does something for me or uses them if i don't understand that who i am i can't if i don't love me i can't love you it's impossible i can try i can want it but i can't love you yeah and i think that's that's where the challenge comes in to me with what society just throws at us. You have to be successful. You have to, you know, you have to be like, I look at you and I go, I am so excited that you're going to be a racer. So excited. <laughs> or a driver. I'm sorry. I don't know the terms. Um, I love that. You're driving a Porsche around. I'm like, that is so cool. And the reason I think it's cool is you've done well for yourself. You're a successful attorney. You're successful as a business owner. You've done well for yourself. That's not why... I'm excited about you being able to be a driver. I'm excited about you being able to be a driver because I see inside of you a peace that I've never seen. I see inside of you a joy that I haven't seen. I see inside of you life. You're you're truly at peace with yourself and you're spreading that to other people, but at the same time, you're getting to enjoy things that you love. So it's not about the money. That's not why I no. go so happy for party yeah. and I look at your heart and I look at what's coming out of you and I go, that girl's doing great. She's doing great, right? Thank you. You you found a way. Now, look, your success and your passions that you have um, and the things that you did, whether you you became an attorney for the right reasons or not or what, any of that discussion doesn't matter. You've now taken what you've learned and you're using it 
to impact on animal rights. You're using it to impact on things that are valued to your heart in a way that you can get behind, get passionate, and you've got something to do, but you don't have to sit and worry about what's everybody going to think about me if I say this. Yeah. Changes everything. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I love that because here's the, what I think that the punchline to that is like, when we are, when we don't, when we're not good with ourselves, when we're just not, when we're not good, just mean like, this is me. Um, right. Then we get caught in making decisions that just to make sure that we're getting the pat on the back or the likes or the, um, you know, avoiding, I think as humans, we avoid pain more than we seek you know, more than we seek pleasure, like this positive, right. we avoid, try to avoid the negative, even yep. when we know there's something else that we could and should be doing. Um, okay. But you know, when you're when you're playing to the to the being liked by people, um, and you get really excited by the clapping, then you're also a person who is going to be very very damaged by anything that's negative. And for me, one of the biggest pieces of, of personal peace to me is to get to a place where I'm not swayed either way in either direction by outside feedback because I'm real good with who I am inside. Yes, I love that. Kind of love that. So that's no, we're doing. Uh, so here's a question I get a lot, right? Because people ask me, "What are you doing to make amends for what you did?" Which I think that's an acceptable thing to ask me. Since I'm putting myself out there, that's sure. acceptable, yeah. right? I go, number one, I'm owning things. Number yeah. two, I am working actively inside of the movement to try yeah. to bring attention to demand and pornography. Yeah. Number three, I've got a group of men that I have met with every week for 10 years straight yeah. that do life together. And I said, I'm, I'm passionate about doing that. So to me, and then the, the follow-up question I've got before is, is that enough? Is that enough? And who, so who are the people who ask that question? Do I? Who are the people who ask that question? People who are, well, I think people who are broken, people who are looking for an answer for the things that happen in their own lives, or people who are seeking vengeance. They want that social justice, and they want to fight. Mm. You know, I have to bury you. I, I, I find it crazy in our society. I look at politics, and I go, we have become so dualistic. If you do not agree with me, you're an idiot and a moron. Mm -hmm. No, if yeah. you don't agree with me, you know what that means? You don't agree with me. Yeah. It's that simple. We yeah. cease trying to find things that we agree on that we could say in this issue and this issue where we're so polar opposite, we can find something in the middle to agree on. Let's work together. Sure. I think that's very important, but I think society wants to, to talk about labels. They want to brand you you're wrong because you don't believe this about the wall. Again, I don't want to talk politics because people yeah. are crazy about that. No, I think but. there's a fundamental problem that we, um, that you know, people who kind of see themselves as being on a higher moral ground will mm -hmm. still allow themselves to respond to what they perceive as hate with more hate. Yes. And yes. I, I see that even in you know the animal rights movement a lot with people who are judgmental of the you know the food choices that other people make the, the you know the entertainment choices that other people make you know where they got their dog whatever it might be and rather than and you know i've just gotten to a point in my life where i feel like you know on a very basic fundamental level hate is never the answer even to, to you know the only way we squash something negative or insidious or hateful or you know bigotry or whatever it might be is to just deploy massive amounts of love healing yes. compassion positivity solutions um yes. and that's you know that's kind of that's where i'm at on that like i can't i can't get behind responding to hate with hate or responding to um, what somebody may see as something bad with with more hate and what I find whenever somebody says to me because I get not the I don't get the same question that you get like are you doing enough or right. but what I get in like the animal world is um, is 
you know, well, don't you care about people? And, and I'm like, obviously, you know me, like, like I love people, like (laughs) I'm so driven to help people. But what I find nine, like almost 10 out of 10 times is that the people who ask those questions are not looking for solutions or contributing to solutions on any level in any forum themselves. Right. It's, it's a place of judgment. You know, it's like. Well, and the other thing is you're not like me. So yeah. That's a big thing too. But mm-hmm. I mean, why do you think you said your whole goal is to get to the point where you're not swayed either way by people. You want yeah. to be solidly who you are. Yeah. And that's what I said. And like my response to that question even was something the same. I'm like, if, I, if the problem is outside of me or the solution is outside of me, that means I need someone else to fix me. Yeah. And while I have a humility about my place in the universe, I don't need, I need to fix myself. So is it okay that someone that's done something wrong to make amends loves their wife yeah. and has a job? Is that okay? Because yeah. most people aren't going to get on stage and talk about it. Yeah. Is it okay for someone that's done something poorly to animals to not do things poorly to animals and just live a life of yeah. goodness and right. train their children in how to change? Right. Is that enough? Because also, the who's the arbiter? Who's the arbiter of what's enough? You are, and so am I. <laughs> you get to decide what's enough for you. I get yeah. to decide what's enough for me. Yeah. I, I believe anyway, because I'm the, I say this all the time, I'm the only one I can control anyway, and mm-hmm. that's on my best day, because some days I'm like, I'm going to do this, and then I don't go to the gym eight yeah. days in a row. You know, that's yeah. why I have a belly. But I also live in Wisconsin, <laughs> and that impacts that as well. So, <laughs> lots of beer in Wisconsin, just so you know. I didn't know. More, I'm going to say this, Guardian, don't be offended. Yeah. I think they drink more in Wisconsin than they do in Louisiana. Wow. That's it's amazing. Yeah. I, can't, I never thought I'd say that statement, but anyway, yeah. we're off topic, but wow. it's amazing. That is saying quite a bit. <laughs> and you know me, so that is saying quite a bit. Yeah. So, but Dang. no, it's good. I, yeah. This is such a healthy conversation because I, I wish people, I wish more people could just be who they are. Yeah. You know, I wish people would just love themselves. I wish people would get comfortable with themselves. I mean, I, am I, am I perfectly comfortable with myself all the time? No, I still think about what I could do or do different or I'm not mm-hmm. enough, but that what you focus on determines what you see. If that's all yeah. I ever focus on is that I'm not enough. That's all I'm ever going to be because I'll, I will suddenly see all the ways I'm not enough. Right. Instead of going, I'm doing something, I'm doing the best that I, and I love that Russell Brand. So you made me listen to that Russell Brand thing because yeah. he posted. I couldn't. <laughs> it's Brene Brown. I couldn't do it. Yeah. I hate that woman in a loving way. <laughs> yeah. But but I love. You know. I mean, it's he was so cool in how he approached things. And, and I like how Brene Brown asked the question: Do you think that most people are doing the best that they can? Mm-hmm. That is a great question. Such a good question, it's, right? It's so simple. It's so basic that yeah. I think that nobody's ever like. It's just so basic yet so profound. Yes. Like, even the bad side of people and things that we disagree with, we think are doing wrong. Are they doing the best they can based on where they came from and their story? We say all the time, because I run a, a nonprofit that we do things for men, which I love. But that's one of the things you say is you don't know a man until you know his story. Yeah. You've got another story. Once you know your story, once you know someone's story, someone might look at you and go, why does she have an eating disorder? That's just stupid. She's got all these things going for her, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) They don't know what drove you to that. They don't know the situations in your life that made you go, I have control here. I can control this. I'm going to, you know, they don't know that. So yeah, yeah, I love that. I think people, I really do think people are doing the best they can in general. Yeah. And really do. And why do we, why so frequently as humans, do we err on, on the side of like, the negative like even if it's jumping to conclusions about you know what somebody has said that we don't ask for clarification on and we always you know I I still catch myself sometimes like you know assuming the worst you know and I have to reel myself back in and like it would cost me the same amount of energy to assume the best case scenario out of this a hell of a lot better for you (laughs) I know so you know, it's um, we're all works in progress, but um, yep. I I love it, and I you know I think that what I I love what Brene Brown's husband's approach, and I think that I'm sort of more aligned with with his approach, which was when he came back to give his answer, he said, 
I don't know if everybody's doing the best that they can, but I know that my life is a heck of a lot better when I assume that they are. That's it. To me, that is it, right? Like, I, I yep. just think that what would it look like if we all lived like that? No kidding. And communicated with each other like that. And, right. Um, you know, for me, one of the most significant things I did in my healing journey, um, because even though my, you know, my eating disorder wasn't an issue, um, you know, I, I think that that's been a long recovery, but it's not been something that has been like a um, dangerous sort of urgent need to address for a very long time. Like that's, you know, pretty, pretty far in the rear view. Um, but there are other things about, there were other pieces of my recovery from how I had framed my childhood and, you know, my, my dad's absence and addiction that really needed some very urgent attention. Um, but because they weren't obvious and because it wasn't, you know, socially unacceptable, like it was a very right. late um, onset of reality for me that I really needed to, to, to deal with it and tackle it head on. And it wasn't in like, you know, you talk about focus and kind of what you focus on, you, you can't create more of, we have the, we have the ability to like make the lens smaller on the bad stuff, blow mm -hmm. up the, the good stuff so that we start noticing more good stuff. I sat down and I recognized, I was like, you know, I've, thought that my dad because of that situation that I ended up with all these struggles and, and I went through all these things that were really negative and traumatic and I was embarrassed at times and I was you know this and I didn't have the dad and I was resentful and I was pissed off and all the whole you know gamut of things and then he passed away a, a decade ago before I could make any sort of peace with it and um, I ultimately realized that like okay, if I change my perspective and focus on this situation, could I find something good that came from it? And I found lots of good things. I have a lot of grit and tenacity and ability to do things by myself without fear. Um, I feel like I have a lot more compassion for people who have had struggles because, you know, that's been something I've, I've witnessed that I... I you know, for me, it is very, as human beings, there's, we're all dealing with stuff. And, um, I think it's just, it, I, I feel like, so that I have, I recognize, I was like, I wouldn't be the person that I am. I wouldn't have, be able to have the impact that I can have right. if it weren't for him. And so I actually sat down and I wrote him a thank you letter. Um, this was early this year. I sat down wow. at my computer and I wrote a thank you letter to him. And I, I was just like, you know, I just want to let you know I'm, I'm doing well and I, you know, things I've accomplished and um, not only do I forgive you, but I just want to thank you for everything because I wouldn't be able to help other women who have experienced this, you know, same, you know, catch women early on in their young adult lives and help them help prevent the 15, 20, 30 years of, of kind of wrangling and in, in, internal tor turmoil that I experienced. Right. Um, I wouldn't be able to do this. It's a, been a gift, a tremendous gift that's helping other people. And for that, I have profound gratitude and thank you. So, wow. and it was so healing to me. It was so healing to me. And so then when I heard the, you know, the, the discussion about, do you think people are doing the best they can? That to me was um, sort of like a similar, but different perspective on that, where my dad was doing, that was kind of like the epilogue to that whole thing was like, you know what? He was doing the best that he could. And, yep. um, and he wasn't the dad I wanted at the time, but he definitely was the dad I needed right to become the person I am today and I wouldn't trade who I am today for anything no you shouldn't yeah but that what a cool letter that is <sighs> how, I mean how hard was that it was hard it was hard it was a lot of tears it was um 
you know, I've gone back and I've done a couple updates. I think the hardest thing for me was actually forgiving myself for not getting to that point while he was still alive. So key. That's so key. Because that was, now that it was like, shit, now I've I've got guilt. (laughs) Because, you know, I was like, he was doing the best he could. And he was the dad I needed. And now I, the last thing I said to him was some words of anger and he passed away and I, you know, but, um, I, it's where you were and you did the best you could. With true. What you had Good point. Moment. What's on the horizon for you? I am continuing to write my story. Um, I've been writing since I moved to Wisconsin. Um, uh, it's, it's been more consistent recently. I've just, I was challenged to write 500 words a day. So I'm writing 500 words a day, no matter what, which has been good. Um, so, you know, I'm just, I, my goal is to get my story out there so that we can see men turn around. I think that, I think that the biggest revelation I had a year ago when I went to that conference is of all the things that I had done, I never made a connection between pornography and paying money for prostitution. And what I never made a connection with is prostitution over I mean they I don't no one knows the stats because it's an illegal operation but over 50% of people who are in prostitution are being forced coerced or manipulated into being into it so they're not there to get money for their family they're there to not get the shit beat out of them that night. Right. and when I recognized that I had contributed to human slavery it because I thought I was just exchanging money for sex. I thought there was a transaction going on. When I recognized that I was helping to enslave human beings, yeah. it changed everything for me. I'm not perfect. Um, I'm not the guy that stands up and goes, I haven't looked at porn in five years. I'm not that guy because I'm imperfect. What I have now is a group of men that I can go to and talk to. Yeah. And what my passion is is to develop a message to, I'm in the middle of it right now, develop a message to connect pornography with Again, you can go into a thousand other issues for women. You can go into why women are objectified. I can tell you right now, it's because porn. I can tell you, you know, I talked to a, a, a detective the other day that said when I first started doing sexual crimes, they were just regular, straight up. Someone was just raped and went on. Now it's BDSM and it's all this crazy stuff that happens in these crimes. And he said, there's only one thing I can point to, and that's pornography. And so to me, I'm trying to draw the parallel to get men to see there's a connection, a direct connection between you looking at porn and the slavery that's going on in the world today. And so that's my passion. Um, I'm going to be speaking at Shared Hope in October. Um, I fly from there to, we're doing Man Alive. We're doing our 14th Man Alive expedition in, um, oh, don't give me the line, Grape Lambs, Texas. It's halfway between Houston and Dallas. Uh-huh. So we'll have uh, probably 125, 150 guys there. That, and our big thing, again, try to get to men and reach them because we think if we can get to a man, we can impact his marriage. If we can impact his marriage, we can impact his kids. And if we can, if he can have a son that doesn't objectify women, then the sexual assault that happens from things like that won't go forward for generations. They'll stop with this one. And that kid will teach his kid how not objectify women. So our goal is to reach generations. Um, speaking in Bismarck, North Dakota in November at a human trafficking conference there. And um, I, I haven't heard yet, but I'm probably speaking at the college there, which is going to be fine. And then um, I may be speaking at a conference in uh, Chicago in November as well. So doing a little bit of that. I'm going to try to get home for the holidays and, and uh, get ready for next year. Oh, something super exciting. I haven't even talked about Fierce Freedom, who I love. Can I have just a minute? Yeah, please. <laughs> we are – I love these women. I work with three beautiful women. They are just amazing fighting social justice. They are, hard, they are just all in. Well, we're taking the next three months. We are going through, because they have done an amazing job of putting together content for educating, because it is to educate our hometowns against exploitation. We want to make sure that we're fighting that. They've got law enforcement training and hotel training and school training and faith community training, all these different things. And through a crazy series of circumstances when I had a heart attack in March that we got introduced to an idea from my best friend who also made me go to that stupid retreat years ago. Um, <laughs> he's like, why are you not taking this nationwide? Yeah. Why are you not telling there's 70,000 small towns in America? Why are you not getting your training to them? So we're very excited that we're working on putting together a program that 
I mean, what I saw at Shared Hope when I spoke there was probably, I don't know, 300 women mostly that were housewives that are interested in trafficking and what it is. And they don't have the ability to do anything because they're not going to do the research. They're not going to do the presentations. They don't know how to do it. So for us, we're very excited that we're going to be developing stuff that we can get into their hands that they can go train their local jail personnel on recognizing traffic women who are incarcerated. We're going to teach them how to do all that stuff, but they don't have to do it themselves. If they don't want to, we're going to do it for them. So we're very excited about that. That's going to be next year that we're launching that early, but we're super excited about what's going on there. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, That's so exciting. Okay. Well, John, thank you so much for your time today. It's been such a pleasure talking to you and hearing about your journey. And I'm really grateful for your, um, your openness and, and honesty and um, very excited to hear about where you're headed from here um, and the progress that that's being made. Well, thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed just getting the opportunity to visit, share my story, and share stories together. It was really nice. It was wonderful. Now, if if anybody wants to learn more about this issue or what they could potentially do or resources they could share, is there a a website that you might be able to share with them or something that you recommend that they could do? Absolutely. When it comes to human trafficking, the best place to go, there are a number of different resources out there, but the nonprofit that I work for is Fierce Freedom, and you can find that at just www.fiercefreedom.org. And then I am currently working on my website, which should be done over the next month or so, which is just going to be johnpulley.com. If you go there right now, you won't find anything, but I'm working on resources and content right now. So Perfect. Well, we'll be sure that people stay updated on that when that becomes live. But thank you so much again. Have a wonderful day. And I look forward to, to following up and doing this again sometime soon when we can share some updates. That sounds great. Talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you're walking away from this episode of Uncaged with a little bit more understanding about what addiction is and is not, and a little bit more compassion for people who have struggled with or are struggling with addiction, regardless of the type of addiction that it is. September is National Recovery Month. It is meant to raise awareness about many of the issues that we discussed today. So if you are looking for more information on that topic, you can find more on the website for the National Association of Addiction Professionals at naadac.org. That's naadac.org. Next time on Uncaged, we're going to be chatting with retired Navy SEAL John Beck about the role of adversity in propelling success. It's going to be a riveting conversation. I can't wait for it. I'm super thrilled that he has taken the time to chat with us, and I look forward to your joining us. In the meantime, you can find me over on Twitter at NolaVeganDiva, or you can use the hashtag LiveUncaged in your conversation if you want to continue it. Thank you again. This is Carney Ann Nasser sending you so much gratitude, wishing you a wonderful day, and asking for you to please share the podcast because you never know who it might help.